A financial plan requires planning. It's savings, RRSPs, investments, and planning for the unexpected. TD Term Life Insurance can help protect your family's financial future if you were to unexpectedly pass away. You can apply for TD Term Life Insurance online or over the phone by speaking to a licensed advisor. If you're under the age of 55, you could be approved for up to $500,000 of coverage without a medical exam. Conditions apply. TD Term Life Insurance is underwritten by TD Life Insurance Company. Visit tdinsurance.com slash termlife to learn more. Canadians coming home from abroad are facing tough new restrictions announced by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. The government is hoping to keep cases of new COVID-19 variants at bay as it grapples with a slowdown in vaccine shipments and an ongoing second wave of the pandemic. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Ryan Tumulty, who covers federal politics for the National Post, joins me to discuss the new restrictions, where Canada's vaccine shipments are at, and a new report that shines a light on a lack of preparedness at the Public Health Agency of Canada. Don't forget you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Ryan, last Friday, the Prime Minister introduced new travel restrictions for Canadians. What do the new restrictions mean, and what do people abroad have to do to come home? Coming home is pretty much more complicated than it's been really at any point in the pandemic. You have to have a negative COVID test before you board a flight from your destination. You have to have done that in the three days prior to the flight. When you arrive in Canada, you'll be tested again for COVID. And while you are waiting for those results, you will have to stay in a government-approved hotel under quarantine. You'll have to stay there until the results come back, which could be after three days. And if the test results are negative, you can go home and finish your quarantine there, your 14-day quarantine. If they're positive, though, you're going to have to stay in a government-approved quarantine site until you're clear of the virus. It's all an attempt to make sure that some of these international variants that we're seeing of the virus, some of which seem to be more transmissible, don't make their way into Canada. And what about people looking to get away for spring break or reading week? What options have been taken off the table? And should they even be traveling? No, they really shouldn't. And I think that was what the government was really trying to underscore here. There are ways for sure that you could still travel over March break if you're willing to stay in a government hotel, if you're willing to take the risks and all the extra testing. Certainly, if you were willing to travel inside Canada or Even across the land border, although we're hearing the testing requirements are coming for the land border as well. But the government's message here is really, you should not travel. And Canadians have to take their own sense of personal responsibility here. All of us, you know, in a Canadian winter would like to head somewhere warm. But now is not the year to do that. You know, if the government really doesn't want people traveling, why did they not look at further restrictions? Airlines aren't going to be flying to the Caribbean or Mexico but you could still go to somewhere like Hawaii. Why are they not really clamping down if the idea is people shouldn't be traveling? Or are they just hoping that the restrictions they have in place to get back into the country once you've returned may deter enough people from traveling? What we've seen so far is is that travel is actually a really small percentage of the new cases. I think what the government was trying to do here, and it's why the prime minister came out and said that the the hotel cost would be $2,000 
that's obviously very steep. I think that's probably a worst case scenario for a traveler if they come back and they have to be tested and they end up waiting three days for results. That's probably what they're looking at is the three days and the $2,000. But I think the government's really painting a picture of this as the worst case scenario to encourage people not to travel. Could they completely restrict all flights? They could. Then you get into some weird situations, though, where people who might be traveling for what you could be consider as essential reasons would be grounded. Mm -hmm. And I, I think they're trying to go as far as they can without completely taking off the ability for people to travel, you know, to visit dying relatives or to attend funerals or even for medical treatment. There are some things that still have to move by plane. The prime minister was criticized for delaying on this. He hinted that the travel restrictions were coming about a week before they actually did. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of what they were trying to do was work with the airlines and figure out, you know, which passenger flights also carry important cargo in their holds and that, you know, could be essential to, you know, daily life in Canada that we wouldn't want to cut off. As you said before, the number of cases believed to be from travel is quite small compared to cases within Canada. If that's the case, why enact travel restrictions? Is it just concern over these new variants and the fact that you could have people congregating in crowded hotspots? I think the concern for the new variants is a major part of the driver here. So to give you know, an example of one of them, the, the UK variant, which has been identified in Canada, there have been about 85 cases of it identified in Canada, and there are probably a lot more. It's known to be much more transmissible, so it's, it's much more likely to spread. And there's some early research. The British Prime Minister Boris Johnson came out with this information last week that says it can be 30 to 40 percent more deadly. Hmm. And certainly we've seen that. There's a long-term care home here in Ontario. The variant was discovered, and over 60 seniors have died in that home in just a few weeks. So, you know, there is a real concern about the variant. I also think there was definitely politics in this, as there always is. This was about the federal government doing something that it could do that was totally within its control. Certainly, we've heard lots of concerns from premiers across this country, Francois Legault and uh, Doug Ford and Jason Kenney, who've pointed to travel. I think it's going to be very hard for them to point to travel as a problem, which will encourage, I think, the federal government is hoping for them to look at making sure they're taking all the measures that are within their jurisdiction. I was reading that Ontario Premier Doug Ford was actually quite pleased to hear that they're looking at this. They're ready to screen passengers coming in at Pearson. And I know in Alberta, Jason Kenney has had kind of some enhanced screening measures in place at Calgary Airport for a while. So is this a matter of getting kind of even across the board, all provinces on the same playing field when it comes to screening travelers and keeping travelers quarantined when they come back? Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And I think it's about making sure that Everyone who travels into this country is being treated the same way. The morning of the announcement from the prime minister, Premier Doug Ford was set to make an announcement to, to do travel screening at Pearson in Toronto. And I think it was about making sure that the federal government was moving on what is their responsibility. And that leaves the provinces to focus on what's theirs. Now, who's going to be making sure Canadians are kept in quarantine or staying in these hotels or even once they go home that they stay in quarantine? Is it going to be the police, RCMP? Like, what's the security around these people? And, and is there any concern about the privacy and the overreach of it? Definitely there is concern about the privacy and the overreach of it. 
the government's made it clear that this has happened. If, if you don't want to stay in a hotel under quarantine, don't travel. You know, that's the solution there. In terms of who's going to be enforcing it, there are regulations and laws on the books and the police can already find people. I don't think police officers have the time to go door to door, which is why another part of the announcement that was interesting is that the government is hiring private security firms hmm. to check up on people doing quarantine. So this was happening before. A lot of it was getting phone calls at home to make sure that they were abiding by their quarantine. It was, I think, patchy in some places. There were some people who weren't consistently getting the calls, and certainly it ramped up. So it was much better you know, last month than it was in the early months of the pandemic. But the government's taking that another step. And so in addition to expecting phone calls if you're in one of these 14-day quarantines at home, people should start expect to see private security companies knocking on their door to make sure that they're home and uh, abiding by the rules of their quarantine. The news about the new travel restrictions on Friday was coupled with word that Canada would be getting fewer doses of not just the Pfizer vaccine, but the Moderna vaccine. What is causing both of these companies to come up short in its deliveries to Canada? So Pfizer has been upgrading its plant in Belgium for about a month. Their end goal is to be able to make more vaccine this year than they originally estimated. They originally estimated they can make 1.3 billion doses of the vaccine this year. With the upgrades to this plant, they say they'll be able to make 2 billion. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's a big upgrade. But in the short term, it has meant a big cut. It seems like Canada has felt that cut deeper than a lot of the European countries who also saw their shipments cut, but not quite as deep as Canada. And we don't have a lot of insight as to why Canada was hit worse. I think it might just be proximity. You know, a lot of these European countries are obviously closer to the plant in Belgium. That is supposed to come to an end in the middle of this month. Pfizer is supposed to be done with their work on their plant and then be able to ramp supplies back up. It'll be interesting to see when that happens because, you know, the government's been consistent in the sense that it says that this is a short-term problem that will resolve itself. One thing they've said pretty consistently is that by middle of February, the, the doses will start being delivered in big numbers again. Remains to be seen if that happens, of course. Mm-hmm. Paying real attention to that. Uh, the Moderna dose was another surprise. They're cutting their doses by about 20% to Canada next week. They don't deliver to Canada every week. They deliver once every three weeks. So again, we were told that it will just be this one shipment that is impacted. But again, it remains to be seen. I mean, both Pfizer and Moderna, they're basically the first two companies out of the gate here when it comes to vaccines. They're ramping up their manufacturing capabilities quickly. You know, it's a product that absolutely everybody wants. There's unprecedented demand for it. And they're trying to keep pace. And I think they're struggling. Yeah. You know, I think the real solution to this is getting more vaccines approved, which we're hoping to see in the next couple of weeks. Despite this, the prime minister figures we're still on track to see the 2 million doses we were promised by the end of March. So it's 6 million doses total. Okay. 2 million from Moderna and 4 million from Pfizer by the end of March. Yeah. yeah, They're pretty consistent that that's what we're expecting. All of this follows on a report that you wrote about last week that the Public Health Agency of Canada, which is designed to give advice on health threats like pandemics, was not fully prepared for COVID-19. What did that report say about how Canada is lacking? So it was a really interesting sort of internal look at how things were going. The Public Health Agency of Canada, just a little bit of history, was created after SARS. It was recognized that 
even though healthcare is a provincial responsibility, we needed a national agency to look at for disease outbreaks like this. And it was when it was first launched in the wake of SARS, that's what its focus was. And it was staffed by doctors and scientists and epidemiologists. But over time, through successive governments, SARS was further and further in the rearview mirror. And it, I think, lost some of that focus and started to worry about, you know, other health threats, some of them, you know, really acute, like the opioid crisis. Mm -hmm. But it also fell into a trap that is very Ottawa, which is that a lot of the epidemiologists and scientists and doctors were moved out and bureaucrats were moved in. You know, there's this desire to have everything in Ottawa move on that bureaucratic level and move in the same steps as the rest of the federal government. And think the same way. So the, you know, the agency, when it was first launched, had a chief medical health officer, and that person was the absolute head of the agency. Later on, it got a president who became the sort of bureaucratic head of the agency, still with the chief public health officer, still with Dr. Teresa Tam there. But now it had a little bit of a more bureaucratic focus. And, you know, there are bigger concerns about budgets and how it relates to other agencies and the work it does. So it lost some of that focus. That's what the report revealed. And it also revealed some concerns about how the agency was staffed. How did that staffing specifically affect the work related to the pandemic, both with our chief public health officer, Teresa Tam, and with our screening efforts? So this is what was really shocking, I think is the public health agency was not sufficiently staffed for the pandemic with the doctors and the epidemiologists, you know, the real science experts that you need in a moment like this. And so that meant that we didn't have the people needed to deal with some of the big questions about the pandemic. You know, some of the issues around border closures and masking and vaccines and treatments and lockdowns and other restrictions, you know, we didn't have the right experts in place to really evaluate some of those issues. And the ones that we did have had to work extra long hours. The report details that, uh, you know, in the early months of the pandemic, Dr. Tam was working seven days a week, 20 hours a day. And, you know, there were real concerns, not just about her, but across the agency about burning out these scientists and doctors and other experts. Has there been any indication that they've managed to fix the problems or that we're on more solid footing? They brought in a lot of extra help from other departments. Of course, that doesn't really fill your expertise gap, but it starts to help. They've definitely seemed to have gotten more help for Dr. Tam. And the deputy public health officer, Howard New, I guess, is, is starting to carry. You can even see it publicly. He's starting to carry more of the burden and offering more of the help. And, you know, they also got creative in certain cases. So, you know, one area that they didn't have enough of was quarantine officers, people who could make the decision at borders to say, we shouldn't let this person in or we should put this person into quarantine. Mm -hmm. So what they started to do is recognizing that they didn't have enough of those people, they sent lesser trained staff to borders to act as screening officers, to be able to know just enough to know when a quarantine officer needed to get involved. So sort of the first step in figuring out whether a person needed to be quarantined, a first sort of screening step to take some of the burden off those quarantine officers but no, we haven't really been able to, you know, staff up the public health agency in a big way. And I think that's something that they're going to have to look at after the pandemic. Now, earlier you talked about we could see approval on more vaccines in the coming weeks. 
is that the Johnson and Johnson vaccine or there other companies that have product potentially ready to hit the approval stage? And when could that happen? You know, we've seen interesting news on three vaccine candidates that are out there. The AstraZeneca vaccine. The AstraZeneca vaccine, for example, has already been approved in the UK. It's a big reason why they're so far ahead out in the vaccine race. It was approved in Europe on Friday, and we're expecting an approval here in Canada soon. That would be a big help. It doesn't have the storage requirements that these two vaccines we do have, the Pfizer and Moderna ones that have to be kept so cold. The AstraZeneca one can just be kept in a regular fridge. Mm -hmm. So that would be a big step forward. We have an order for 20 million doses of that vaccine. So that would certainly help our efforts. We don't have specifics on delivery timelines for that vaccine, but I think you'd start to see it in in March and April. And certainly that's another literal shot in the arm. Then you have Johnson & Johnson, which is another really promising candidate. And the really great thing about it is it only requires one shot. All of the vaccines so far have required a second dose. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine only requires a single shot. It showed some real promise in the results that it's released publicly. You know, they're not as effective. The Pfizer and Moderna vaccines really blew everybody away because they're you know, more than 95% effective. Mm -hmm. Some of these other vaccines are only 75 or 70% effective in preventing people from getting the virus, but they seem to be 90, 95% effective in making sure that people don't get seriously ill or end up in hospital. So those could be big game changers for the virus and for how we treat it and for the vaccine race. Mm -hmm. And then there's a third vaccine also out there from Novavax, which again, Canada has an order for. Again, it's easier to ship around. It doesn't require this ultra-cold temperatures and ultra-cold storage. It could be a big game changer for how we handle the pandemic and getting more vaccines into arms. Yeah, we know Canadians will be watching that race very closely. Ryan, thanks for your time. No problem. 10.3 is produced by Sean Knox theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Ryan Tumulty. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.